Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Here we go. Ruth chapter 2. If you're visiting here with us this morning, great to have you here. We are in the second week of a sermon series on the book of Ruth. It's four chapters long. It's four weeks in a sermon series. So that means there's the chapter a week. So we've got 20-something verses to go through today and only two hours to do it in. So here we uh, are. Kids are like, we're never getting to camp. No, we're going we're gonna to move, uh, move quickly through this time. So follow along, buckle up. We got a lot of work to do. Let me give you a real quick recap of where we are in case you weren't uh, available or here last, last week. And everything that we do up here is available online, so you can catch up that way too. But <clears throat> Ruth chapter 1 taught us last week that uh, introduced us to a guy named Elimelech. And he made some really bad decisions, took his wife, Naomi, um, because he was afraid of famine in the city where they lived, Bethlehem. And he took them down into the land of Moab. And Moab is a place that has a really bad history, worshipped a god that, uh, that even demanded child sacrifices at times. Not a great place to go and have kids. Um, and so, um, so he took, his, he took his, uh, his, his wife down there. They had, uh, and they had two children. Uh, Malon and Kilion, which they had named, literally their names mean dying and wasting. Um, I don't think this is a real happy home. Um, they didn't have that live, laugh, love picture on their wall. Um, <laughs> they were like dying, wasting, mourning uh, in their house. So anyway, so, so Elimelech takes his family down there, and God has specifically said in the scripture to the Israelites, don't go to Moab. It's a bad place. Okay, don't move there. And specifically says to them, don't take Moabite wives because the, the religion that is down there is going to make its way up into your household and into the land of Israel. This is not good. He specifically says this, Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, doesn't listen to the things that the king has to say, takes his family down there out of fear of famine. And when he's down there, he dies, his sons take Moabite wives, and then they die. And so we've left with Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. Naomi finds out that, that the famine is over in Israel. She starts to come back, and, uh, and her daughter-in-laws want to come with her. And she says, no, turn back, go to your people. Orpah, Orpah whose name is kind of Oprah-ish. Anyway, that, um, uh, that, uh, uh, she, she's like, okay, I'm out, see ya. And she goes back, and Ruth, though, clings to her mother-in-law and says, no, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And we have this moment in which Ruth converts. She becomes, uh, she becomes a follower of the God that we serve, God, our God. Um, and, uh, and so we see he's going to be my God and his people are going to be my people. And then they come back to Bethlehem. Naomi's pretty still upset about things. She's kind of depressed, anxious, a little bit bitter. Um, and, uh, uh, and, but they come back and it says at the end of chapter 1, that the barley harvest had just begun. So there's a foreshadowing of something good about to happen, okay? And we're going to look into that here in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. You ready? Now, 
Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Really excited to introduce you to Boaz. Uh, he, is, um, he is a great guy. Um, the things you're going to see him do and hear him say, the way he acts, he is, a, he is a man to emulate and to celebrate. And there's a little foreshadowing that's happening here where it says, a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. And so we're going to get into that just a little bit later as well because, because Naomi and Ruth don't, don't know this guy Boaz yet, but the author of Ruth here is saying he's a relative of her husband's and his name was Boaz. So we're, we, we're introduced to this guy Boaz. He, he's given a title. Now, the different commentators disagree a little bit on this as to whether the, where it says a worthy man of the clan whether that's just a description of him, uh, that it means sort of capable person or wealthy man or good reputation. Other people see it as a title, and I don't speak Hebrew, so I'm about to murder this, but uh, Gabor Ha'il uh, is, is the phrase. And some people see it as a title that means something more like glorious war hero. All right, so anyway, however this works out, you see Boaz is, is a larger-than-life figure, uh, a man of means, a man of authority, a man of strength, and we're going to learn a man of character as well. Boaz is in such contrast to the men that we met in chapter 1, Elimelech, who doesn't follow his own namesake, doesn't trust God, runs off and does the things that God tells him not to do, and it brings about his death and the death of his children as well. We see this we see this weakness, we see this, uh, this, uh, this unfaithfulness in the men in chapter 1, and then we see Boaz, a worthy man of the clan. And what we're going to find out here, I'll give you a little picture of where we're headed, is that Boaz's strength doesn't come from him like being battle-scarred. They're not saying that he's a, he's a war hero, and therefore, just because he's been in war, that he's a man to emulate. His, his strength doesn't come from the, like, the size of his biceps, but the strength of his character and his heart for God, his makeup, the things that are, that are inside of him, that he emulates the character of God, and that impacts his behavior. And through him, many people are blessed. We're going to see the same character in Ruth, too, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. All right, so verse 2. And then Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. So first of all, here again, the author of this book wants us to remember that Ruth is a Moabite. She is not an Israelite, which means all of the good things that are about to happen to her in, in the lens of the Old Testament, she doesn't deserve any of them, right? She's not an Israelite, the, the covenant people of God, the promised people of God, but she is a Moabite, someone who's supposed to be despised and avoided, and yet she's brought into the people of God. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So gleaning. Gleaning is, uh, back, in, back in these days, of course, there were no like giant combines or anything rolling through the field. They would, they would have to harvest by, by hand. They would pick by hand, and they would drop some maybe in the process, uh, and the poor and the widows and the orphans 
could come behind them to pick up the leftovers. In fact, God commands that his people leave the leftovers for those who are in need. Our God is a compassionate God and a gracious God. In Leviticus 19, it says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God has made it. He is, he is calling his people to be a generous people. And for the people who have, to share with those who do not have. That you don't harvest all the way to the edges. That you don't go back a second time after you've gone through and, and pick up anything that you have missed. But you leave that for those who are in need. Now, as you can imagine, some people did this faithfully in the eyes of the Lord. And other people were very greedy. Like, how close to the edge do I really need to stop, right? Can I just leave one barley strip all the way down the back? Or does it have to be this wide? Does it have to be 10 feet? So oftentimes people were greedy and made it very hard for the gleaners. And gleaning was very dangerous work because you have a lot of men with sickles out in, uh, out oftentimes unsupervised in fields and a bunch of very vulnerable women. And this was a, a situation that led oftentimes to abuse and assault. And so Ruth stepping into this, she would have seen the, uh, the reapers in the front cutting the stalks, laying them down, the women behind them gathering up those stalks into bundles, and then she would have been back with the desperate people behind all of that, always in fear. So let me talk for a minute about Ruth and her character, how she stepped into this place. She, she sees that her mother-in-law needs care. She sees that she needs to eat. They need a place to stay. They've got to work this out. And she jumps right into the field. She says, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to, I'm going to take initiative in this. And I'm going to be a part of, of the redemption of what's happening with my mother-in-law and with me. Ruth, we've said names are important, right? Naomi means fair and pleasant. And then she changes her name when she's angry to Mara. Call me Mara because I'm bitter, which Mara means bitter. And, uh, and so, so we've talked about Boaz and his name. We've talked about Elimelech and Malon and Kilion. What about Ruth? What does her name mean? Well, this is fascinating, friends. Her name means nothing. Why? Because this story is about not who you used to be, but who you're becoming. Ruth is not defined by where she's come from, by the land of shame that she was raised in and, uh, and where she got her name. But Ruth's life is about what God is going to do with her in the future. And so we see her participating in this, and we see, we see her, uh, her working in these fields. So, verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the, of the clan of Elimelech. Again, we're reminded he's from the clan of Elimelech. He's in her family. That's going to play into the story in a little while. The author of Ruth here he, he says, uh, he uses this phrase, she 
happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. A couple of times in this chapter, he uses this phrase, it just happened that this, that this worked out. But we're going to see here that in contrast to Elimelech, who did not trust the sovereignty of God, even though his name is, my God is king. And he ran in his own ways and his own devices in a way that led to his death and the death of his children, that God is faithful. God is sovereign. And there is no, this just happened at all. We're going to realize that what just happened is actually the providence and the sovereignty of God. Verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, that's exactly right. Half of them said, and with your spirit, and half of them said, and also with you. I think that's how that works. It says, and they answered, the Lord bless you. This is all our liturgy that we use comes from the scripture. Our liturgy is about using the scripture in our worship. That's why we use the words that we use here. And we see this is one of the greetings that we use in, uh, multiple times throughout our service. It's to use the scripture in our worship, okay? So this is, this is the first words we hear from Boaz, and they're words of blessing. It, he, he's, he's greeting his employees with a blessing from God. He's walking into the harvest that he knows has come, has come from God, and he wants his employees to see it as well. Are you an employer in here? How do you treat your employees? Do you notice the work that they're doing, and as you step into their lives, bless them to help them to see that all that the Lord has given you as an employer is from God, and that you want them to see that their participation in that work is the work of God as well? Are you blessing the people who are under you? There's a lot for us to learn from Boaz. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, so like one of the managers there, um, and he says, whose young woman is this? It just so happened that Boaz came from Bethlehem the day that Ruth was there. And it just so happened that Boaz noticed her. This, this is an important point, something that, that reveals more about who Boaz is. There would have been his managers, his reapers, the women behind the reapers bundling everything, and behind them the desperate and the destitute. And Boaz, who is a man of authority, who's in charge of the whole thing, doesn't look past the people who are in desperation. Instead, he looks at them so closely that he's able to pick out one. He's not a man who is blinded by his own authority or his own goodness or his own pride. But instead, he is intimately connected with the lives of the people that the Lord has given him to steward. And he locks eyes with, with Ruth, and he says, who is that? Now, what does it mean when he says, whose young woman is this? Okay, it could have a couple of different meanings. Maybe it just means, who does she work for? Who is that? Or maybe, maybe, because I've read the end of the story, just maybe there might be a little bit of a spark of something happening here. 
Okay, maybe in God's sovereignty, he cares not just for feeding bellies, but he also cares about our relationships quite deeply as well. Maybe, maybe he's saying she's got to be somebody's baby, right? Like maybe, maybe there's a, I don't, I, maybe I'm reading into that, but I just, I just think, okay. So verse six, and the servant who's in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi from the, uh, from, with, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Literally the way that this, that this phrase translates, literally word for word means, she has made the field her home and the house has meant little to her. In other words, she has worked so hard and so well and properly. She asked permission like she's supposed to. She didn't just wander into somebody's field and take things like she's entitled to it and just go, Leviticus, right? Like she, um, she came in, and uh, as you do, right? Um, and, uh, and so she came in, asked permission. She's there uh, appropriately. She's working hard. I mean, you can see the character of this person. She has made the field her home. She is, she is, she's busting it, right? Like she is saying, we need to provide, I need to provide for the people under my, my care. And then Boaz said to Ruth, verse eight, so he goes and finds, he walks by all of the other people. He goes through his reaper, leads his manager behind, and he goes and he talks to her. This is a, this is a sweet moment, the first time that the two of these folks start to talk. And he says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. He, he's taking a particular interest in her, and he, uh, and he says, I want you to be safe. Stay close to my people. He uses his authority to protect and to keep safe. Where do you have authority in your life? And if you're going, I don't think I have much. Everyone has authority somewhere and influence in their lives. How and where are you using that for the safety of others? As a mom, as a dad, as an employer, as a student, you have influence within your group of friends, within the people who are going to be at camp this week. How are you going to use that influence and that authority not to tear people down, but to lift them up so that they're safe? You've been given authority in order to be able to steward your relationships with others and to provide and to bring safety. That's what authority is supposed to be. And we see it in Boaz here. And in a world and in a time when authority is questioned, is always seen as oppressive or manipulative, or at any moment that authority could turn wrong and be about the abuse of someone else. We see in Boaz an example of godly character and authority and that there's intimate relationship and that there is, uh, and that there is, uh, that, that he uses that authority not to bring down, but to provide and to care. We see godly authority here in Boaz. Stay close to my young people. He says, I love this. Here, you want to hear, you want to hear Boaz be authoritative? Verse nine. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping. In other words, just look at the field. You don't have to keep up looking around to see if you're safe. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Right? Do you feel this? Like the war hero just came and went, fellas, let me tell you something. You touch or you die. 
right? That's what he just said. Like, like you, he just used his authority so that she can say, I feel safe. What a glorious guy this, this, Boaz, uh, this Boaz is. So, and when you are thirsty, he tells her, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So not only can she stay close, but he blesses her even further. He gives her access to basically like the employee benefits, right? The water cooler. The other guys are drinking, drinking uh, water. They're, they're drawing water from the well. They're bringing it. And she gets to come and take part in that. Not all of the other gleaners have been given this kind of, of grace. Again, the character of God in Boaz is generous. It's a generosity that we see in Boaz. We're going to come back to that. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, because this is, this is so much goodness that is being lavished upon her. And she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? I'm from Moab. I'm Ruth the Moabitess, right? Like she says, can't you hear the narrator keep saying that over and over again? I'm from Moab. Why would you be so generous to me? She's still learning what grace is about. She said in chapter one, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And she's learning about the grace of God through God's people. The lavishness of God who lavishes upon us his love and his attention and his, and his beauty and his goodness and his provision and his grace. Not because we've earned it. Not because we deserve it. Not because of our past or where we've come from. Not because we, we somehow have impressed him. But because he is a God who is good. And Boaz is saying, you've come to be a part of the people of God. This is the God that we serve. Friends, this is a picture of the church. Look, look what Boaz says to her, how he, how he replies in verse 11. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, but you do now. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He says, you were once far away. Once your identity was a despicable place in a, in a, in a people who were looked down upon. But now you have come under the wings of the God of Israel. Now you are in a place of safety. The Psalms talk about the wings of God all the time. In 17.8, it talks about safety. It, in 36.7, it talks about refreshment under the wings. And stillness and help is talked about in, in uh, Psalm 63. The wings of God gathering his chicks under his wings. And Boaz is saying, this is, this is who our God is. And we are a people who should reflect his character as we share in his ways. This is the church. This is the church who says, maybe you were far away. Maybe you were not a Moabite, but maybe, maybe you've lived with shame for a long time. But now you're home. Now, under the wings of the church, you will know the goodness of God. You've come to find safety. You've come to take refuge. And you've come to the right place. 
Let us show you the goodness of the God that we preach and say that we serve and that we sing songs to by our actions where we're loving and caring and generous and giving and sacrificially serving others. Because why? Because that's who our God is. Boaz says, you've come to the God of Israel. Friends, the God of Israel is our God. And so we should be a people who gather those who are desperate, those who are in shame, those who are lost, those who are broken, those those who are without hope. It's the church that gathers them under her wings. So he says to her, I've seen all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. It's been fully told to me. So this, I want you to see here, this is not him saying, right, you've earned all this. Because um, even though he says, the Lord repay you for what you've done, this word repay is not recompense. It's not like, oh, you've done really good things, so your karma is built up. And therefore, um, you get good things here and you get to come back as a cow. Like, that's not how, that's not how we see the world in, in any way, right? That, that we see the world through a lens of grace. This, this repay you is not earning God's love. What he's saying is, as you are living into the truth of God, the character of God, the ways of God, it brings about fruit. It bears good fruit. And may the Lord bear that fruit within you. Here's another just real quick aside in this. He sees her character and how she's caring for her mother-in-law. Maybe some of you are caring for aged, aged parents or spouses, and it's a struggle. And every day it seems like you struggle in silence and in isolation. Friends, the Lord sees your work. Sees the compassion with which you care for the people who have cared for you. Sees when you have to do gross things and clean up nasty things and struggle with our relatives who who are struggling with dementia and Alzheimer's. And it's hard. Friends, hear from this. The Lord sees your work and he is well pleased with you. So Ruth and Boaz here are having this discussion. Ruth is, is, is amazed at this point of the goodness of the God that she's pledged 